When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you, wherever you are today. Mississippi State hosted a softball game today. Did not go the way we wanted. We'll recap that here in the first segment of the show. But a pretty cool thing, though. I think it's pretty exciting, this. I mean, it's like one of the things for sure. When it comes to Mississippi State athletics, there is no question Our fans will turn out and support our student-athletes. There is a tip of the cap to every one of you. Many of you couldn't make it today, but there was 2,209 people that attended the game today. I did see some empty seats out there. I know many people couldn't get there today, but it'll be there tomorrow. But that 2,209 is a new state record to view a softball game in the state of Mississippi. That's also one of the largest crowds of all time. For an NCAA softball game, the record's around 4,100. So we're not going to get there. We're not. And Alabama, of course, is a team that holds most of those attendance records. Tip of the cap to them. But regardless, what a great showing by our fans to come out and embrace this special team that is doing something historic. And so I wanted to begin the show by thanking all of you that made the trip and all of you that bought tickets and all of you that plan to be there tomorrow. Thank you. On behalf of everybody involved with Mississippi State Athletics, our Mississippi State fan base, our entire Mississippi State Maroon and White family, thank you for going out and making your presence known. It was an incredible ball game. It did not go our way, but we'll get it back at it tomorrow. That's the thing. It's a super regional. We put best two out of three. So we'll get a chance to play again tomorrow and hopefully again on Saturday. Thought we had a chance to win the game. We didn't. Such is life. It's always like that. There's always the one big moment, the one big half inning. There's always the one big mistake. There's always something. When you have two teams that are dissimilarly situated, especially in postseason play, there is always the one big swing. Always. And late in this ballgame, it was Arizona who got the one big swing. It's not anything we can look at and say, oh, you know, well, we just didn't belong. No, we certainly belong. We certainly do. We went toe-to-toe with the national power, even though they're not having a huge year this year. Here they are in the Super Regionals. I also wrote a column earlier today to post it on jeanspage.com. If you're not a member, you should be, but this is a free column. You know, about we're going to be back in baseball. Kind of broke it down, you know, about, you know, what we've seen here in the last 40 years. It's one thing that you can say for sure about Mississippi State. We may get down in the Valley every once in a while. But we don't stay there long. I guess the, the biggest one you could talk about was the last year of Polk in 08 and then the first two years of Cohen, 09 and 2010, where we had not done a good job recruiting. And to give all Miss some credit and Dan McDonald when he was there as an assistant coach, they really kind of took it to us on a recruiting trail. We've documented that on the show before. But 08 was basically a, the retirement tour for Ron Polk. It was very difficult on all of us. We didn't have a good year. And in many respects, kind of left the cupboard empty. You know, how do you kind of recruit? We didn't know who the coach was going to be. A lot of push to get Tommy Raffo promoted from within. 
A lot of pressure on Greg Byrne to go out and get John Cohen, who is our guy winning an SEC championship at the University of Kentucky. It made perfect sense to make that move. It did. But it took us some time to adjust. And then the college game was changing too. You know, all of a sudden the BESR bats were being replaced by the BV core bats. So we had the dead bat, dead ball era. And we were kind of recruited for a different brand of baseball. We were on the tail end, of course, of the uh, gorilla ball era, which to be honest with you, I think all of that deserves an asterisk. But uh, nobody ever asked me. I think all of that is kind of look, to be honest with you, I think most purists in college baseball kind of look at that era in college baseball and kind of wince a little bit. Or, eh, you know, yeah, these guys won big, but, you know, there's always a but. But the reality of it is they still got the trophies. And, yes, I'm talking about OSU. Uh, but the game had changed a lot, and we were a little bit behind the curve as a program. So it took us a little while. And I remember when John was at Kentucky, a lot of people were like, oh, I don't want to play that brand of basketball, baseball, excuse me. I don't want to, certainly not basketball. John's not a basketball coach. But, uh, you know, I don't want all this bunning and hitting and running and leaning into pitches and things like that. And, you know, at the, at the time, you know, Kentucky's just doing what it takes to win games. Provided they do it within the framework of the equipment that was available, you know, Kentucky was doing great. Didn't make it to Omaha. Still the only team in the Southeastern Conference to never make it to Omaha. But at the time, there was not a hotter name in the Mississippi State coaching search than John Cohen. And again, it took us a little while to get going. In 2011, you know, we go down there and play number one Florida, and we're, and we're basically a swing away from going to Omaha in year three under Cohen. And I'll never forget, and I've never, ever really gotten an answer on this, and I suspect I probably won't. Maybe John will hear the show and he'll call me, just tell me from my own information. I'd like to know what Kevin O'Sullivan said after the game when he gator-chopped our dugout. I would like to know what he said. Not that I'm going to report it. I'd love to tell you guys, but uh, even if I can't, I want to know, and I've asked John a couple times before, and he just laughs, but I want to know. So John hit me up. I want to know what Kevin O'Sullivan said. Nick Vickerson was our hero that weekend. You may recall, we had a walk-off home run in game two to force a game three. Had the lead in game three, and bullpen just couldn't hold it. 2012, we go out and win the SEC tournament, and we kind of run out of gas there in the NCAA regional. If you recall, I think we played, what, five games in the heat of the day out in Hoover. Just kind of got to us after a while, ran out of juice. And then, of course, 13, we played for an AFL championship. So even when we have these little peaks and valleys, I would submit to you that they're not long-lasting on the downside. We're a team that once once we kind of get it rolling, we keep it rolling for a while. And there are times, you know, we have some recruiting misses or guys get injured or whatever, and it catches up with us. We had a lot of things catch up with us this year. We're not going to sit here and recount all that again. We, we, I mean, we've beat that horse to death. That's behind us now. But I think it's one of those things, too, that uh, that I love about being a Mississippi State Bulldog is that I know that I can count on our baseball culture. I know this for a fact. We've been to Omaha with six different coaches, which is the most in the history of the Southeastern Conference. We're among the national leaders with 39 NCAA tournament appearances. We've been to Omaha a dozen times. Doesn't matter who the coach is in many respects. A lot of this culture has been put in place by you because there is an expectation 
because we're going to turn up and we're going to show out and we're going to have a cold beer. Not me. I'm retired from all that. But we're going to give our, our team the best chance to win. We're going to make this the most intimidating environment of all college baseball. You go all the way back to 1885 with William Jennings. We've had a winning tradition from the very beginning. We go out and go to hire baseball coaches. You know, once the opening is out there, we're overrun with candidates because everybody wants to be here because of you and because of the winning tradition. And those things kind of go hand in hand. We turn out because they win, and they win because we turn out. There's a relationship there between our fans and our players. It doesn't exist a lot of places in college baseball. And, of course, there are kids after every ball game trying to get pictures and trying to get autographs. And I think that's exceptionally important, extremely important. I mean, you're kind of laying the groundwork for the future teams, right? But there is just an expectation. And so when I see people that are like, oh, man, next year's going to be this, you don't even know what the rosters are going to look like, Joe Fan. Relax. Go fishing or something. I can promise you that your coaching staff is mining the portal right now, and we don't have to take the leftovers when it comes to the NCAA transfer portal in college baseball. We mine some other sports, but we don't in college baseball because deep down everybody wants to come play here. I submit to you that just about every player that's probably darkened our door here in the last couple of years he said, you know what, man, if I go on a transfer portal, it would be great to hear from Mississippi State. R.J. Yeager told me that was a phone call he was waiting for. When he went into the transfer portal, he hoped he would have the opportunity to come play at Mississippi State. He does. He has an all-SEC season. He is a Ferris Trophy finalist. And will probably go make himself some money. Now, his age is a bit of a factor when it comes to the draft, too. You know, he's a guy, too, that um, I think he's already 24, you know, about to get married. But I think that's an issue, too. And so that's the thing you think about, guys like Scotty DeBrule and guys like R.J. Yeager. I mean, you're going to get these grad transfers, and a lot of these guys really have a decision to make. And if they're draft eligible and they don't command a high enough price to go pro and they go college, you kind of got to ask yourself, okay, this is a one-stop gap to situation here, one-year deal. But I don't think any Bulldog fan would trade R.J. Yeager and Scotty DeBrule for just about anybody the contributions they've made. I mean, Scotty DeBrule's a NAFL champion. Think about that for a second. The guy comes here for a year and leaves here a NAFL champion. And you go back and look at how well that guy played down the stretch last year. You talk about impact transfers. You know, he didn't have a whole bunch of home runs. He didn't have any. But where would we have been without Scotty DeBrule last year? His composure, his competitiveness, his smugness after those walks. He would get in pitchers' heads. He was a tone setter for us. Tremendous player. I don't begin to imagine, you know, if you'd had uh, R.J. Yeager, Scotty DeBrule on the same team. But we have some guys going out. You guys are aware of this. We've got some guys that are transferring out. And you know what? It's 100% okay. We wish them the best. We do. It's not anything that we take personally. It, you know, you only get a short time in life to play sports. And so we encourage people to get out and go make some things happen for themselves. It's not something we take personally. Not everybody can play here as much as they want to. And again, that's okay. That's not a, an indictment on their ability. But, you know, Mississippi State is striving to be a national contender every year. And so it's, it's, there are certain times, time for development is very limited at a place like Mississippi State. 
you don't go sign a guy and then he can kind of ride the developmental wave for like two years and then you hope he takes off. I mean, it just, the, you know, it's just too competitive at this level to have a lot of that. You got a few guys out there you kind of hang on to. And, you know, we've seen some guys like that take jumps over time, but more times than not, it's guys that are already playing some as a freshman or playing some as a redshirt freshman. And then they kind of figure it out. But, uh, again, there will be some two-way traffic in the portal, and that needed to happen. That needed to happen. It's not the Boy Scouts because the same people, they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're not playing. Like, oh, wait a minute, why are these guys leaving? Well, make up your mind. we got to return roster over. We do. And, again, we don't have to take leftovers, nor should we have to sit here and contend with this. Like, well, you know, we made a commitment to this guy. He can't help us. We made a mistake. Because, you know, really what you're doing is putting that guy in a situation he can't be successful. That's not good for us. It's not good for them. And it's not good for other guys who come in here and play. And so, again, that is the untidy business at times of college baseball. Sometimes you got to cut a guy loose. Part of the deal. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. Like, more than a friend. I do. I admit that openly. I was a Bulldog Burger customer long before they were sponsoring this show. I didn't approach them. They approached me and said, hey, we'd like to partner with you. And I was, I was beside myself with glee because I love Bulldog Burger Company. I like dealing with winners. I like to associate with winners. And that's what you have, a winning establishment when it comes to Bulldog Burger Company. And they're winning all over the state of Mississippi now. University Drive here in Start Vegas has the flagship. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then, of course, the uh, newest one, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Roads and Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you better looking. And as somebody that sees many of you, uh, you need it, right? You do. I can tell who's had their spring rolls recently and who haven't. I can just tell. It's a science. You know, you have a relationship, but, like, you can tell when something's wrong with somebody. That's how I feel about you guys. When I look at you... So you know what? That guy's probably had his spring rolls here in the last week or so. Ah, oh, look, this guy had. It's clear. So let's beautify America by getting the spring rolls as your appetizer. You'll be happy you did. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I think I've said that before. You will too. Go by, have that chocolate shake to go. Get that great restaurant quality hamburger. And I listen, I'm, I'm still pretty fired up about that Nashville hot chicken sandwich. You should, if you haven't done it, trust me. Next time you're in there, you go have that Nashville hot chicken sandwich. You'll be gl- glad you did. I'm getting all flustered here. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take a look back at the softball game that was. This is a historic moment in our show's history. In our time together, we've never really broken down a softball game. And it'll be very quick because there wasn't a lot of hits uh, early in this ball game. We did go extra innings here. Uh, and it's one of those things, too, it's like, you know, win or lose, I'm so happy. You know, Yeah, that's true. But, guys, I want them to win and get to, Omaha, get to uh, Oklahoma City. Robbie Falk and I have already spoken. Robbie's like, hey, you know, if they make it, I think I'm going to go up there and cover that. I'm thinking, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely you should. All right, so Robbie does a good job for us, too, and uh, really kind of you know, prioritizes the women's sports for us. And I'm really glad that we have a, a staff big enough that we can do that. We can kind of dedicate somebody to do women's basketball and, and softball. Now that he didn't help out with other stuff, he absolutely does. But um, Robbie doing a good job for us in women's sports. 
And Robbie was there today. A historic moment in our university's history. Pretty cool stuff. All right, so here we go. Let's run it down here. Okay, so State's a home team here. So, you know, we're, we're in the field first. Very first hitter for Arizona singles. Back up the middle in a one-two count. That's uh, Miona, and she had a good ball game. Uh, Palacios and K's looking. Skag strikes out swinging, and then Pacho, who got us later, strikes out swinging after a lengthy at bat. So we pitch around that leadoff single. Strike out the side. How about that? Bottom of first. That goes one, two, three. Uh, St. Clair grounds out to the pitcher. Bunt attempt there. Mia flies out the center and uh, nearly a home run here. Robbed of a home run. Then Shea Moreno flies out to left. One, two, three inning. Top of second. We pitch around a little trouble here too. Scooping grounds out to second. Then Dimbler pulls one inside the bag at first for a double. And we get uh, Behringer grounds out to the pitcher. And then Carroll lines out at center field inning over. Pretty efficient other than the uh, at-bat with Carroll there. Bottom of second, State with a chance here to make some things happen. Uh, they walk Chloe in a lengthy at-bat here. Yeah, I don't know if I'm a pitcher if I want to face Chloe with the game on the line and I, if I'm not hitting my spots because she's got such a good eye to play. But Chloe walks. Sack bunt here. We get her over to second, and you know, you know it's going to be a tight ball game. You're playing for one right here. So you have a runner at second. You're thinking a base hit here would score, especially a speedy runner like Chloe. They walk Purvis. We pinch run there, and then um, Five Pito strikes out swinging. Big moment in the ball game there. You're just thinking, you know what, if I can just you know, get, a, get a base hit here, we got a chance to score and take an early lead. Then Kennedy flies out to right field. So we strand the two runners. Came back to bite us later. Top of third. Parashika strikes out swinging, then uh, Miona singles to third base, an infield hit there. We get around that, though. Palacios flies out to center, Skaggs pops out to second. So, top of third, we're in pretty good shot, face, pretty good shape here, excuse me. And again, a chance to take the lead here in the third, and we, again, miss a big opportunity. Hall walks to open the inning, a lengthy at bat here. Really kind of grinded out a base on balls here. Then St. Clair flies out down the left field line, another lengthy at bat. Mia strikes out swinging, another lengthy at bat. Uh, Marino, Shea Marino, singles to left field, which sends Hull to second. And then they walk Chloe again. You know, you're, you're just not going to strike out Chloe looking. Base is loaded here. We just need a base knock, a walk, anything, an error, anything. And we fly out to center field. And again, just can't get the big hit here. Just can't get it done. We got traffic on the bases, load the bases, unable to get anything out. So, again, you waste a leadoff runner there and a little different scenario here you know back in the third you know you're playing for one we play for the bigger inning here in the third and in either inning do we score all right top four Pacho fouls out to left great running catch here by Chloe I thought it was going to get out of play scooping then pops up to third Demler singles to the right side uh, Behringer walks and now they have a real threat early their first one of the day and uh, Carroll pops up to left, and we're out of the inning. All right, bottom of four. Again, State with traffic on the bases, and we just can't get the big hit. Purvis grounds out the first base unassisted. Five Pito singles through the right sides. Okay, so now we got a runner on. And Kennedy comes through singling the right center. Now his runners at first and second. The go-ahead run is at second with less than two outs. Hall flies out to left, and St. Clair pops up to the second baseman. 
So again, traffic on the bases again for the Bulldogs. We can't get them in. We're scoreless through four. Top of five, good inning here for State. Uh, Parashika grounds out to third. Uh, Miana grounds out to third. And then Palacios pops up to third. How about that? Pretty efficient inning there. Bottom of five, State gets on the board. Mia Davidson homers on a 2-1 count off of the uh, scissor lift out there in left center. Nearly rattled around the cage up there in the camera well. How about that? Moreno pops out to second. Chloe lines out down the right field line. Cook comes through with a two-out single to keep the inning alive and in purpose grounds out the first. So we're through five, but State's got a one nothing lead. And the way we're pitching the baseball, you think, okay, we're okay. Arizona answers right back. Skaggs homers to right field to tie the game at one. Pacho then doubles down the left field line. Scooping, K swinging, and then Dimmler lines into a double play. And what a tremendous play here. You know, we talk about how fast-paced the softball game is at times, and it is. And all of a sudden, you see Madison Kennedy laying out for a ball that seemed destined for center field. And there's no doubt that a run would have scored here. But instead, she lays out and then dives for the bag, and it's a double play unassisted. I mean, an absolutely incredible play there. And at this point, I think maybe we're a team of destiny. Maybe this is going to work out for us. Maybe today is our day. Fapito then homers to right field, and you're thinking, okay, we're three outs away. It would be nice to tack on some more here, but if nothing else, we know if we can get a clean inning in the seventh, we've won the game. Kennedy then grounds out to the pitcher, trying to get a bun down. We pinch hit McKenna here for a hole. She lines out to the pitcher, just one of those bad luck type situations. And then uh, St. Clair singles down the left field line, and they walk Mia. So now all of a sudden you've got an, an important insurance run there at second with one of your best hitters, Shea Marino, at the plate. We pop up to second base. Inning's over, but you know, hey, we're three outs away. Ended up being a very lengthy half inning here. A lot happened here, and you may not agree with my commentary, and that's okay. I'm just going to tell you how I see it. Behringer walks. I actually thought we had her struck out here. I did. Thought we had her struck out earlier in the at-bat. We don't. They pinch run. Uh, they play a little small ball here, and they get the bunt down. It moves the runner to second. Now, they began to review. Initially, I'm thinking, okay, did the runner leave first early? There was some contact at the plate. And so, because of the fact that Mia Davidson made contact with the runner and didn't field the baseball, she is then charged with obstruction. You could basically, it's not a CI in the technical sense, but she would have to, in order to have to field the baseball there. And now, when I was watching the hitter itself, the hitter, she had a foot outside of the batter's box. So, there's a lot to unpack right here. The call goes against Mississippi State. So, now there's runners at first and second with nobody out rather than being a runner at second with one down. All right, so we make a change here, bring in Kelsey Hawk, who I thought did a good job here uh, for Annie. She gets Parashika to strike out swinging, gets the ground ball to third, just a hot shot there, bounces wide there. Next thing you know that they've got uh, runners on second and third. Uh, you bring in Aspen and try to get out of the jam here. Uh, Palacios flies out to deep center field, and um, – yeah, the runner tags and scores. And then Skaggs, uh, you know, grounds to third, and we go step on the bag. And so we're, we're out of it, but it's like, you know, we've, we didn't want to have to hit again, but here we are. But, again, a chance for us to walk it off. And you've got some big sticks coming up. Chloe comes up to lead off the inning, flies out to right field. Cook flies out to center. 
and then Daniel strikes out swinging. So now you're going to extra innings, free baseball. The very first hitter, Aspen sees in the eighth, home run down left field line. There was no doubt about it. It was just a matter of was it going to go foul or not. She absolutely turns on it. Scooping then pops up the short. Denver strikes out swinging. Uh, they bring in a pinch hitter, Thompson, who flies out to center field. So now it's a 3-2 ball game. And at this point, I'm just thinking, if we can get to Mia Davidson, we're going to win the game. Now, of course, it was going to take some people to get on base, but I felt like, you know what, we got a chance here. Fapito walks, and what a lengthy at bat it was. Fouling off pitches, fouling off pitches, just fighting and fighting and fighting. Gets the tying run on base. Nobody out here. Thought we might try to play a little small ball here. We don't. Kennedy strikes out swinging. Then Hall flies out at center field. And then St. Clair, Clair flies out to left with Mia Davidson on deck. And you're just thinking there, again, it was a, it was a competitive at bat by St. Clair. I mean, you know, she gets down in the count here, uh, one, two, and just kept fouling off pitches and fouling off pitches and fouling off pitches. And then finally uh, hits a routine fly ball to left. So we lose the ball game 3-2. Difficult, difficult result, especially when we had multiple opportunities early in the ball game to get some separation. But give Arizona some credit, too. I mean, they're not just going to lay down for you. Those are the things that I think. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You know, it's like, you know, we always act like it's always a missed opportunity for us. All right, so Mississippi State now 1-4 all time against uh, Arizona. And we've lost four games in a row. How about that? Uh, we won in 2002 in the first matchup between the two schools 7-1. to But since that time, they have won every game. So that's interesting. And most of those games uh, have not been competitive, but the last couple have been. You know, we lost 4-3 to them in Tucson back in 18, and then we win, we lose 3-2 today. Uh, so, again, right there with them. And, uh, you know, Arizona, you know, considered by many one of the better teams, you know, in the, con- in the country all time when it comes to, to softball. So uh, let's award our Prime Shrimp Player of the Game Award. We're, we're going to go with Mia Davidson. Uh, the team was kind of struggling a little bit, and she, she has the big hit there to give State an early lead. And I think as she goes, we go. And I think it's like – it's just human nature to say, you know what, hey, if Mia can't hit them, maybe we can't. And Mia hits everybody. Well, then once she did, it just seemed like we were more relaxed offensively. Couldn't get the big hit. But I think we kind of realized we could play with them. I thought it really settled the nerves. So go to, go to uh, Prime Shrimp dot com today you'll be glad you did i love prime shrimp.com uh prime shrimp and i've got some prime shrimp in the freezer right now i'm going to exhaust that here in the next few days because one things i like about it is whether i'm having a salad and just want to add some protein to it it's perfect and you can split it evenly between a couple people two or three people and you can have shrimp salad or you can have shrimp tacos or you can have uh shrimp fettuccine alfredo i like that uh Cajun Alfredo, French Quarter Alfredo, because you get the shrimp and the sauce together. How cool is that? It's just one less thing to worry about. All you have to do is heat up a 
you know, a bed of fettuccine noodles and then pour it on top. And it's like you're, you know, you're sitting down there at Cafe Sabiza or something. I mean, it's incredible. I love it. PrimeShrimp.com and then promo code Boneyard to save a few bucks. They've been peeling shrimp since the 1940s. They know how to bring a quality product to your dinner table without any additional preparation or cleanup. And, and listen, we all love shrimp, but sometimes it's just so much trouble, right? They take the trouble out of it for you. You don't have to devein them. You don't have to peel them. You don't have to pull tails off. You just drop those bad boys in a pot of boiling water. Ten minutes later, New Orleans-based prime shrimp on your dinner plate. PrimeShrimp.com. Okay, so let's look ahead to tomorrow. Uh, interesting. You know, I'm sure it'll be another huge crowd, probably surpass what we had uh, today. But I think there's going to be a lot of people that uh, are going to be at Mississippi State's News Park for the first time. So excited about that. And, again, I, you know, the crowd, you guys were phenomenal. I mean, I was watching on TV. Robbie's covering for us, but I just I couldn't miss it. And so I'm looking forward to tomorrow's game, too. It ended up being like a three-hour and 13-minute game. And then we only played, we played eight, eight innings. But, uh, you know, we talked sometimes about the pace of play. Games like these, you know, every pitch really matters. And so nobody's up there just kind of rushing things along. But uh, 73 degrees at the time, so it's a nice sunny day in Starkville. Not the heat, not too overbearing. But uh, looking inside the numbers here, too, real quickly, just because I think it matters. You know, we look up and down our own order. You know, we had seven hits to their eight. They end up scoring that one extra run. It makes a difference. Both of us had 30 at-bats. They're just a little more. This one swing different in the ballgame. We walk six times and struck out four. So we do a pretty good job, uh, you know, kind of putting the ball in play here. Uh, Riley St. Clair was one for five. Mia Davidson, one for three. They did walk her one time. She did K. Shea Marino also one for four. Uh, Chloe goes 0 for two, but gets a couple of walks there. Uh, Paige Cook, one for three, our third baseman. Really, really good defender. I know she's probably kicking herself on that infield hit there, but that, that was the hot shot. I'm sure she'd tell you she should make that play. But uh, it was rightly scored a hit. Uh, Addison Purvis comes in to play right field is um, 0 for 2 on the day. And then uh, Matalasi Fiapito, 2 for 3 on the ball game, And then Madison Kenny 1 for 4. And of course, that great defensive play there. So I feel like our fans got their money's worth today. Of course, we'd like to get a victory. But at the end of the day, I think you look at this, you think, you know what, hey, maybe this is something we need to get behind, Bulldog fans. I think what's happening now is the Mississippi State uh, Bulldog softball team kind of showing you, hey, we might be the best kept secret on campus. So let's go. Let's get it done. And uh, ball game tomorrow, as you guys are aware. So if those of you that can't make it to town, tomorrow is a 3 p.m. Starkville time start. So plenty of time to kind of get up and get moving today. Of course, an earlier start. I, I think tomorrow, too, a great opportunity for people to come to down, maybe even have the one-day trip. Uh, hopefully we're playing softball again on Sunday. And if you can't make it, tomorrow's game is on ESPNU. ESP. I know a lot of people don't want to fool with the Roku. I'm, now that I've got all that stuff figured out, I'm just I'm ready to go. I watch whatever I want to watch. But if you don't want to have to mess with that, you can watch it on ESPNU. All right, time for today's top ten list. Brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. And that's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Close with Blair, as in closing your loan. A lot of people out there said, you know what, Steve, I, you know, I don't like having to borrow money, but sometimes it's necessary. Maybe I have kind of spent my way into being overextended. Maybe I'm living paycheck to paycheck now. 
and life is more stressful because of it. I can't get out and kind of enjoy life. We always want you to live within your means here at the Boneyard, but sometimes there are some expenses that come along that kind of put you in a negative situation. Maybe let's reset the clock a little bit. Give yourself a chance to maybe lower that debt-to-income ratio. Reach out to Blair Chandler today. Look to refinance your home mortgage. Get your equity working for you. Maybe you want to do an addition. Maybe there's some home improvements you want to do. Maybe you want to consolidate some debt, or maybe you just need some cash. It's there, and he can help you tap into it. Maybe perhaps you're a person that has always wanted to uh, have a home of your own. So you know what, Steve? One of these days when I'm gone, I want my, my family, I want my kids to always have a place they can come back to. I want to be able to have that. I want to, I want to kind of change. You know, we talk about generational wealth and things like that. I want to be able to do something for my family to further our family, to kind of change our family tree. Blair can help you with that too. Give him a call today at 601-500-2344, 601-500-2344. A lot of people want your business. Blair Chandler is a mortgage professional with a proven track record of a guy that gets things done. 21 years in the industry, two years in a row in the top 1% close ratio in the country. Works for Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it came to mortgage lending. So let's be sure and uh, check closewithblair.com out. All right, today's top 10 list is brought to you by the request of our friend Gordon Griffin. Gordon's a guy that is kind of like our uh, our stepbrother when it comes to the top 10 list. Gordon's the guy that kind of helped put some of these lists on Spotify and then uh, reaches out regularly with ideas for the top 10 list. Sometimes he'll offer an idea that I think is intriguing but would require a lot of work for me. And um, I do enough of that as it is. But this is one that's kind of right in my wheelhouse here. And you guys love the covers too. I've had so many of you that, like, when we went to Omaha, recent rock covers remains like the second uh, biggest show of the top tens. I mean, people listen to it. It was incredible. I guess maybe because you're on the road to Omaha and you wanted a good playlist, so I gave you one. Well, here is another covers top ten. And these are songs that maybe you didn't know were covers. Now, if you listen to my show, sometimes we talk about those things. But uh, I do like covers that are really, really good. Like one of my favorite covers in recent years is Godsmack's version of Joe Walsh's Rocky Mountain Way. It is incredible. I love it so much. I love it more than a friend. Well, here are some honorable mentions that didn't make the list today. The Birds, we talked about them recently on our uh, Monterey Pop list. The Birds, Turn, Turn, Turn. That's a cover song. And the guy that originally wrote it, it's also a cover song because it's from Ecclesiastes. I Love Rock and Roll from Joan Jett. You know, we, we struggled to put a top 10 list together with her. We had to use covers because most of her hits are covers. Crazy from Patsy Cline. That's probably the most famous song ever from Patsy Cline. It's a Willie Nelson song. Some of you old-timers knew that. You know, Willie Nelson still sings it live. Here's one. How about First Cut is the Deepest by Rod Stewart? Maybe you're more familiar with Sheryl Crow's version of this. But Rod Stewart's version from back in the mid-70s, also a cover. Another one that I was kind of surprised to learn is Torn by Natalia Ambrulia. Very talented singer. She had a big hit with Torn. It's a cover song. How about that? All right, let's get into today's top 10. Number 10, and I, I probably could change the order a little bit on these. And maybe some personal bias is involved in some of this, but it is my list. So number 10 is Quiet Riot's Come On, Fill the Noise. You're like, Steve, no, no, you. It's a cover song. Slade had it first. And like my favorite Slade song is Run, Run Away. 
But they also did, Quiet Riot covered another Slade song called Mama, We're All Crazy Now. You didn't know that, right? You didn't know that Quiet Riot, most of their biggest hits were, uh, were covers. But Come On, Feel the Noise is a cover. And it was the first like big breakthrough song. Everybody heard it. It's like, oh my gosh, where have these guys been in my life? And Kevin DeBrow actually didn't want to do the song. He hated it so much. They wanted to do it. It ended up being a huge hit for them. All right, number nine, another song that I would say the majority of the population does not know is a cover song is Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. You're like, oh, it's true. It's true. Girls are like, Steve, you're rocking my world right now. That's right. She didn't write it. It wasn't written for her. It was actually a guy named Robert Hazard that wrote it back in the, uh, I guess it was the 50s, maybe the 60s. Robert Hazard, a guy, sang the song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And then Cindy Lauper, of course, really made it a mega hit. I mean, it's like even to this day, when you think of Cindy Lauper, you think of her and her red hair. And that, to me, this is the song that comes to mind, and it's a cover. Number eight, The Animals. The House of the Rising Sun, you've heard that so many times, you're thinking, hey, you know what? It, it's got to be an original. It's not. It's a cover. All the way back, 30 years before they recorded it, the animals I'm speaking of, Tom Clarence Ashley uh, wrote and recorded this song. That's your number eight song, The Animals House of the Rising Sun, and it is it had been around since the mid-30s. Think about that, that you'd write a song like in the early 30s, and then 90 years later, people are still performing it live. It's pretty incredible. Number seven, this is almost like a dirty little secret for many people. Steve, surely not. Yes, Led Zeppelin's Dazed and Confused. Cover song. Number seven on your list, Led Zeppelin's Dazed and Confused. Now, clearly the cover version is better than the original. The original was recorded by the Yardbirds. Now, the Yardbirds also, too, you know, a bit of a, um, a band that was kind of the, everybody's band. Like, they were a band's band. And they didn't maybe break in the States the way people thought, but like Train Kept a Rolling that has basically been covered by Aerosmith forever and a day. That's a Yardbirds track, too. And the Yardbirds have had some legendary guitarists in their band that have gone on to some amazing things. But Dazed and Confused, Led Zeppelin, cover song. Number six, we're going to go a little bit uh, British punk here and go to The Clash. I Fought the Law. And the law run. Now, Bobby Fuller and those guys did it, but originally the Crickets did it uh, back in the 50s. Memory serves me correct. My notes are kind of messy today. But the Clash, my favorite Clash song is Rock the Casbah. Yours may be different. You know, should I stay or should I go now? That's real popular, too, among, uh, <clears throat> among the college-age guys. But um, the Clash had a mega hit without Fault the Law. And again, it's a cover. All right, number five. I absolutely love the song. That's one of the reasons it's a little bit higher. Joe Cocker covered the letter, and a lot of people think it's a Joe Cocker song. It is absolutely not. Alex Chilton and the Box Tops recorded it first. Um, they didn't write it, though. It was a songwriter out of Nashville, and it's like I've read the story about this before, and if memory serves me correct, it was like his dad or his brother had said he, was, he needed a line, and he gave him, give me a ticket for an airplane. And got time to take a fast train. And so the next thing you know, the box tops record this wonderful song, The Letter. It is one of, in my mind, it is one of the greatest songs of that era written. I love the song. 
and I like the box top version the best, but Joe kind of expanded upon it and made it a longer song. I just, you know, back in those days when the box tops recorded, everybody wanted two and three minute songs because DJs wanted to, to get in and out and play as much music as they could, but also too, to generate more ad revenue, they wanted to have shorter segments so they could get in more ads. All right, number four, a cover song. You didn't know it. It's a one-hit wonder from the 80s, and everybody knows it, and everybody loves it, and it's Soft Cell's Tainted Love. Now, at the end, you know, you're like, oh, well, I know that part at the end, you know, baby, baby, where did our love go? No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. The whole thing was actually recorded back in 1964. And then in the 80s, Soft Cell rises to prominence on the strength of recording somebody else's song. Number three, we talked about this earlier in the week, and we paid tribute to Otis Redding, the great Otis Redding I don't know that you young pops have really embraced the, the majesty of Otis Redding. Maybe your parents didn't either. and maybe that's, maybe that's part of the problem, bad parenting. Otis Redding was an incredible singer, songwriter. The guy sang from his soul, and he wrote the song Respect. We actually had his version on our list uh, earlier this week, but we're going to go with Aretha Franklin today because as great as Otis Redding's version was, Aretha Franklin made it a timeless classic. So tip of the cap to her. But again, too, to uh, the original songwriter, Otis Redding. Everybody knows the Dock of the Bay. It's like I would, when I hear those opening bars to that song, the Dock of the Bay, and you hear Otis come in, to me, it's just so relaxing. It's not, I can just visualize where he is, what he's doing. The guy sang from his soul. And again, if you're looking for somebody new, like, you know what, Steve, I'd like to get into somebody maybe that's a little more chill that had incredible talent. And you got to remember, too, they didn't have auto-tune back then. That You had to actually be able to pull it off live. Otis Redding's one of the greats. Number two, the Beatles. And you, this song was kind of made famous in my generation because of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is a fine movie in its own right. But it's the Beatles' Twist and Shout. But Steve, no, but you. It's a cover song. The top notes actually recorded it. They didn't have a hit with it. Record company came to the Beatles and said, hey, this is a good song. We think it would fit. And then now it's basically an iconic song in the Beatles catalog, and they didn't even write it. Number one, we're going with the king of rock and roll. That's right, the king of rock and roll. That's right, we're talking Vince Neil from Motley. No, we're not talking Vince from Motley Crue. We're talking Elvis Presley. The song Hound Dog, you probably suspected it was a cover, but you weren't sure. Big Mama Thornton, she wrote it. And if you think about it in this, in this line of thinking, like if you think about it from the female perspective, Hound Dog actually makes more sense, right? It's Big Mama singing, you know, to her estranged fellow, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. Because you begin to think about it in hindsight. You know, back in those days when chivalry still existed, Elvis Presley wouldn't call an ex-girlfriend a hound dog. I mean, you did that nowadays, they'd throw you in prison. But when you begin to look at this and break it down lyrically, it makes perfect sense that Big Mama Thornton wrote this from a female perspective about kind of a trifling uh, lover of sorts. makes perfect sense. And it's like many people think, oh, well, this is just great. Elvis was such a great performer, and he absolutely was, but Elvis you know, recorded a lot of other people's music, too. I don't mean that disrespectfully. 
that was kind of the thing back in those days. Back in those days, record companies would buy music for their artists. They would say, this is from our catalog. You're going to record this. That's why you see a lot of people in the, in the 50s and 60s that uh, because people were writing 45s, they weren't writing full albums a lot of times, and you have multiple covers of these songs because once they were a hit, other people would record them and trying to kind of capitalize on that. But uh, again, I think when you begin to look at Hound Dog, and you begin, and Big Mama Thornton's version is actually really soulful, as you can imagine. But go back and listen to all of that from a different perspective. So the more you know, and that's one of the things we try to do here on the Bowen Yard is bring you information, perhaps that you've never been exposed to before. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Our friends at Campus Bookmart, the usual suspects, the lovely, talented Susie Her and those fabulous cheekbones, uh, go by there and see her. A guaranteed smile with every purchase. Uh, Miss Pam Menyard, Kathy Brown, the whole crew there will treat you just like royalty because in their minds you are. They're all Bulldog fans too. And so they like to be able to interact with you guys too. And hey, here's the latest thing. Get this for your grandchild. Get this for yourself. Treat yourself a little bit too because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you now. Father's Day is coming up and there's all, you know, summer's coming and you're going to think, yeah, surely somebody will buy this for me. Well, let me go ahead and give you a hint. They're not going to. So buy it for yourself and then hope for the best. Like, Because you know, Dad, you're going to get you're gonna get some boxer briefs or you're going to get a coffee cup or you're going to get a tie and you're going to wear it to church out of obligation and then you're never going to wear it again. It's just the reality, man. It's the Father's Day blues, right? I mean, it's like, Steve, how could you be so negative? I'm just, I'm, listen, I'm just being honest here. So, Dad, take it into your own hands. Either go tell them what you want. Hey, buy me this or go order it yourself. Why do we work so hard if we can't treat ourselves a little bit anyway? Treat yourself at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, I'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Let's take a look at what's happened in the SEC tournament. I know you guys have kind of been, some of you may have even checked out on this. I watched it all in the early when the rain delays and all that stuff really hurt my feelings. Even though we don't have a team out there, it's like I wanted to just sit there and kind of vegetate for a couple of days and watch four games of baseball a day with players that I knew, and then the, the weather wouldn't cooperate. I'm beginning to wonder too if I if I'm not jumping on the bandwagon here that we should move the SEC tournament out of Hoover and put it somewhere else where it's a controlled environment. Wouldn't it be nice rather than sitting out there in 90 degree heat, maybe go to Globe Life or something? And I'm not saying it's got to go there, you know. And I'm not saying it's got to go to Memphis. There's parking would be atrocious at Redburg. I mean, it just would be. It'd be awful. So if we're going to move it, let's move it somewhere where we can control the environment a little bit. I'm okay with it being at Hoover, but I'm also not, you know, not overjoyed about it being at Hoover. To be honest with you, I think there's too many people that are graduates of the Alabama schools that work at the SEC stuff. This is, you know. Not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just kind of spitting what I know. But uh, so we go back to Wednesday. You know, again, it was a rainy day. And, you know, Kentucky beats Auburn 3-1. And you recall, Kentucky had a one nothing lead in this game. And then Sonny D, Sonny DeShera, hits a tank to tie it. And then Kentucky comes up in the top of the ninth. Back-to-back jacks. Then they close it out. Knocks Auburn out of the tourney. Kentucky gets to go. Uh, play in the double elimination portion of the tournament. Nick and those guys need every win they can get. 
Later in the evening, Alabama knocks off Arkansas 4-3, and that's that, you know Arkansas's not going to host. And let's be let's be honest about Arkansas, right? And there were times this year that I thought that these guys may play their way into a national seed. They end up the SEC uh, tournament with a 38 and 17 record, 18 and 12. I think they will probably not host now. You you, you go from potential top eight national seed to probably not hosting. Probably a solid two somewhere. I don't know that I'd want the Razorbacks coming in there, but they have not been the offensive team people expect them to be. And then when you think about them not playing in their own ballpark, you know, they're kind of built for Bomb Walker. Now you got to go on the road. Pitching's been really good this year, but, you know, what's going to happen now when, you know, you don't have that draft pushing balls out the right field? Alabama wins four to three. Now 31 and 25. And, um, in many respects, I think they have passed Ole Miss in the pecking order. If it's a 10-bid league this year, I think Ole Miss is in. If it's nine, I think Alabama's in. I think Ole Miss is out. Because you look at it again, Bama's now passed them in RPI, passed them in strength of schedule, swept them, and they basically have the same record. All right, Thursday, A&M just destroyed Florida. 10 nothing. You know, when A&M came in here, they just really started playing well. They won that series against Arkansas, and they came in here. And we're all thinking, you know what? We can get these guys. We went down there. Excuse me. We can get these guys. Well, we didn't. Uh, and then they went to Ole Miss and got two out of three. These guys, you got to get – is Schlossnagel the SEC Coach of the Year? Is he? I know Tony's going to get a lot of the votes, but uh, you know, and maybe that's fair because Tennessee did lose a lot of pieces. But uh, Slosh probably won't get it. But A&M is perhaps the best story in the SEC not named Tennessee. Speaking of Tennessee, they smack Vanderbilt 10-1 Thursday. You know they would like to have 10-run ruled that game. You know they would. You know they would. Well, they didn't. And then LSU beats Kentucky 11-6 to to put Kentucky in a loser's bracket. Now, I have seen this bunt play at home, and it's awful. It's awful. You know, um, one of our posters made a comment, too. And I don't know that I don't, I don't disagree with this. And I understand, well, we want to keep the human element in the game. I think I agree with this line of thinking. And I know this guy listens to the show. So I'm not going to call him by name. We've got a poster on our board. He goes, you know what I think? I think if we send it to review, the call on the field should be inconsequential. Hear me out here. So what we're saying is we're going to review this and we're going to let the video replay official make the call. It's like, you know what? Hey, this was too close. We want to make sure we get it right. So we're going to let somebody else who is not impeded by the crowd, somebody that's not caught up in the emotion of a game, we're going to let somebody else be maybe a more fair arbiter and not just them confirm a call or say, well, it was inconclusive. No, we're going to let you make the call, period. I don't know that I don't agree with that. And the more that I've thought about it, the more I'm thinking, you know what, maybe this is the way to go. Maybe this is the way to go. Let's just take the on-the-field call completely out of the equation and let that guy get it. Because if he's obviously out, he's obviously out, right? It I mean, like if your officials see him out, the replay official is going to see the same thing. But what's happening now is there are sometimes these bang-bang plays when – and baseball is a game of close plays. A lot of people don't understand that. It's almost a perfect game in that respect. 
But I think sometimes the call on the field carries too much weight. If we really want to get it right, let's just kick it and say, you know what, hey, you guys decide. You guys decide. This is what we called. We want to be sure it's right, so we're going to, we're going to reach out for help here. I don't know that I don't agree with that. I think maybe, maybe that there is something to that. Maybe, because how many times do we see it's like the call on the field means everything. Maybe the call on the field should mean nothing if we're going to review. Maybe. Again, I'm not, I'm not married to either system. I'm just telling you what I think. All right, kind of a wild day at Hoover so far today. Florida battles back out of the loser's bracket and beats Arkansas. So Arkansas's run at Hoover is over. Remember last year they won the tournament. Kentucky has beaten Vanderbilt. And I think really one of the last things you want to see if you're, Vanderbilt, if, you're, if you're Ole Miss is you don't want to see somebody else from the SEC coming up kind of conflating things. But Kentucky, 10-2 winners. And look at, look at Nick and those guys fighting. And I tell you, watching those guys play the other day, I was impressed. A little bit later is uh, Alabama and uh, A&M. If Alabama wins this one, I think they remove all doubt. I think they are definitely in the NCAA tournament, no matter what happens the rest of the way. And then LSU and Tennessee tonight. Uh, that'll be interesting. Two launch angle teams. Uh, LSU has at times been really, really good this year and at times really bad. So we'll see how that progresses. But um, you start looking ahead and start thinking about the, uh, you know, the tournament bracket here. You know, we've gotten through some elimination games. You know, Florida now assured of being in the final four of the SEC because they have eliminated Arkansas. So now Florida awaits the winner of the Kentucky-Vanderbilt game, which is Kentucky. So Vanderbilt is now eliminated from Hoover. Now, I guess Kentucky's on the downside of that bracket. Excuse me. So – Kentucky is on the same side as the Tennessee side of the bracket. They're on the one side of the bracket. I, I'm, I read it wrong. I'm sorry. So now Florida uh, and Kentucky kind of waiting around. for the. They're going to wait for the losers of these winter bracket games. So Alabama will play A&M. The winner, of course, will move ahead. And I guess it will be the final six. I guess I should have written this out a little bit better. I apologize. But uh, because LSU and Tennessee are both undefeated. So a lot left to do. A lot left to do. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't even kept up the day to see if they've altered a tournament or all. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. But, uh, again, Florida, Kentucky still alive. And then Alabama, A&M, LSU, and Tennessee all still alive as well. So Saturday should be a busy day at the ballpark. And then we'll have a, uh, a Sunday final on ESPN2 at 2 p.m. So, looks like we're going to get the tournament in. But, um, you know, when I start thinking about these things, you know, it's different. You always are so acutely aware of what's happening with you. And sometimes you begin to look around here and you think, man, this, this team here is making a bit of a run here. Okay, so let's look at Kentucky Kentucky's RPI is 52 with a strength of schedule of 18. I, I don't think they're there. They need to probably get to Sunday in order to have a real chance. I think that's probably you know, the most accurate way we can say it. Now, Arkansas, 
This is where it's interesting, too. Arkansas is 43 in RPI with a strength of schedule of 50. Their RPI dropped 10 points today. So they have now fallen behind Ole Miss. And so a lot of people think Arkansas should host and that Ole Miss shouldn't be in. Arkansas goes 18 and 12 in the regular season in the SEC. Ole Miss goes 14 and 16. So four games between the two in the standings, and then Arkansas beat them. And so now all of a sudden, if you're Ole Miss, you think, okay, we're ahead of them in RPI. I don't think there's enough of a variance there for you to say, well, I wouldn't take Arkansas over Ole Miss based off the results of one weekend. What's also interesting is Texas San Antonio beats Southern Miss today. Now, UTSA's RPI jumps to 42. Well, Conference USA, if you're, if you're Ole Miss, you're rooting for the chalk. You don't need a bid still because Southern Miss is getting in. You don't need UTSA to get in two, and you don't need any more upsets in conference tournaments like that. Like Louisiana Tech's right there at 41. Ole Miss's RPI is 40. Alabama has now leapfrogged them with an RPI of 39 and a strength of schedule of three. Their RPI is up nine spots. And so now all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, how is this all going to shake out? And if you're Ole Miss, I still think you're in. I think you're precariously in, but I think you're probably one of the last four in. I haven't looked at the recent D1 baseball projections. But you don't need any more upsets. And that's what happens here on Friday is there are sometimes teams that are expected to win tournaments to take up that automatic qualifier, end up getting the beat, and then they're, all of a sudden their resume is better than yours and they end up getting in as an at-large. That's all very interesting to me. There's so much at stake here. So much at stake. You know, you look up and down here, you know, A&M's now 18 in RPI. Did the Aggies host? It's a good question. George is ahead of them in RPI, but they're 15 and 15 in the league. There's no way you take Georgia over A&M. So all of a sudden A&M is 17 in RPI. And you don't, I don't think you can just line it up by RPI and say, okay, the top 16 teams are going to host. You got Dallas Baptist in there that basically finished, you know, game and a half over 500 in their own league, which is not a great league. They're 12. But again, I think Ole Miss is in. I don't think they last long, but I think Ole Miss is in. Now, I may, I may feel differently on Monday before they have the selection show. But I think you start running this thing down, you start thinking about, you know, what's going to happen in the SEC. I mean, you know confidently that Tennessee is in. Vanderbilt now has the number one strength of schedule in the country because they just played Tennessee again. Vanderbilt is in. Vanderbilt is hosting. Even with a 14-16 record, I've got Vandy hosting. Now, there are other people who may feel differently than me. I think when Vandy goes out and plays the toughest schedule in the country, even though I don't think they're a great team, I think you have to reward that. I think you have to reward them for being willing to go out and schedule. That's why you look at Maryland. I think there's some people on the fence about Maryland. Maryland's number four in the RPI with a strength of schedule of 107 and a losing record against the top five, the top 50, excuse me. I still think Maryland hosts, and Maryland's probably going to be a top eight and a half. We'll see, but maybe number eight. And people look at those, oh, it's been a great year, and it has been, but you hadn't played anybody. I really like Stanford. I know Oregon State's going to get ahead of them, and, you know, they should, okay? 
I think Stanford can win this thing, though. I really do. You get a little, again, you get a little bit deeper. Auburn's just kind of hovering around there at 11, 12 in the strength of schedule, and then 37 and 19 overall, 16 and 13 in the league, but they went one and done in Hoover. How much does that matter? Auburn, I think, clearly hosts. I'd be honest with you, when you look at the full body of work, I probably give Auburn the nod over A&M. There is a difference of seven spots in the RPI and ten spots in the strength of schedule, and Auburn had a better record overall. A&M wins the West. So I think, you know, maybe they both end up hosting, but um, I would have Auburn higher in my seating, no matter what the SEC standings should. And I understand people are like, oh, well, Steve. But the standings shouldn't matter, I think, when you look at the full body of work. Southern Miss now, RPI at 15. Strength of schedule down to 51. I still think they're in as a host. But, man, if they're not, after the year they've had, and they have to go on the road, ugh. And then there's LSU just kind of floating around down there at 20 in the RPI. Four games over 500 in the league with a strength of schedule of 19. You start comparing those guys to A&M, you say, hey, they're comparable. But A&M beats them head-to-head. Kind of the same situation with Alabama Ole Miss. And so I think the selection committee last year, I think even though we, even though they had to pick the regionals, the sites of the regionals in advance because of all the COVID testing, I still think it was probably an easier decision when it came to seeding the tournament, at least the top 10 or so, than it is this year. I think there is a lot of variance between RPI and strength of schedule this year. For some reason, I don't know if the formula has changed, or I don't know, you know, maybe the non-conference RPIs have kind of knocked some people out. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that you, you can say, hey, do you, do you believe that Maryland is in the top eight teams in the country? They went 18-5 and five in a Big Ten. It's not a crazy baseball conference, but they beat the teams that were in front of them. You know, they don't get to pick their conference schedule. They went out there and handled it. But are they one of the best eight teams in the country? I would say maybe not. You look at Vanderbilt and you say, hey, it's a substandard year by Vanderbilt standards, but their non-conference RPI is four. They went 36-21, and 14-16 and 16 in the best league in baseball. I've got Vandy hosting. I don't have them in the top eight, but I got Vandy hosting. You know, Texas is a team that we, including myself, thought would really challenge for a NAFL championship, and they still can. They've had some injuries like us, but uh, they were able to overcome it offensively. 14-10 and 10 in the Big 12, which is a good baseball league. 41-17 and 17 overall with a 33 strength of schedule. But again, non-conference RPI, 13. So RPI is right there at 10. And so I think it's very, very intriguing. Because we mentioned Dallas Baptist, and you got Georgia Southern there at 13, and you would say, oh, but who is Georgia Southern playing? Guys, their strength of schedule is 35, non-conference RPI, 19. Non-conference strength of schedule, 4. How do you not reward Georgia Southern? thought about this a lot in recent days. 13 in the RPI. Does Georgia Southern get maybe that 16th regional? When I did my numbers yesterday, I didn't have them in. I didn't. But I began to think about this. You know, the more you think about it and you look at the teams in front of them, you know, these resumes are all over the place. They are absolutely all over the place. And I think you're going to have some very good teams, not host, and will probably cost them a shot at the Super Regional. Uh, Georgia, I don't, have that. I don't have those guys hosting. Do you? 
15 and 15 in the league. They got a good RPI. And they've played a difficult schedule, a strength of schedule of five. And so I just think, I mean, honestly, when you begin, I could make a case for probably 25 teams to host, and I could probably argue against most of those. It's like who's going to host, who's going to host. I think those last four or five hosting spots, you could make a case for probably 20 teams and probably feel good and bad about those decisions. I mean, like we talk about our friends at Notre Dame. You know, they go 16-11 in their conference, and then their strength of schedule is 54. But yet they have the number seven RPI in the country. This didn't make a lot of sense to me. Virginia Tech also in the ACC. And is this the year of the ACC? Yeah, so I start thinking about this too. Virginia Tech, strength of schedule is 55. And then when you look at the, the raw RPI, you got four teams in the top nine from the ACC. So what does that really tell us about the ACC? Are the, are the ACC that good as a conference, or is there a lot of parity in the league this year? That's interesting. And, again, I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions. I love breaking down the numbers and looking at teams that perhaps that, um, you know, we don't know as well. But I think you're probably happy if you're a bubble team to see the rest of the weekend kind of go to script because there's just so much variance between who's in, who's out. And you start, you know, breaking this stuff down and you start looking at these, um, you know, of who's what should be and what should happen. And all of a sudden you have somebody upset somebody and then there's going to be a, a team out there with their bubble burst. And I don't know. If you're Ole Miss, I don't think you can feel confident. And it's easy for me to say it. It's because of the fact that um, I'm not emotionally invested in it. But I still think they're in. I think one or two more upsets, though, and I think they're out. And I think there are a lot of Ole Miss people that really want to be out. I think they just want to go ahead and do it, make a coaching change, kind of move forward with their program. And, again, I'll tell you, I think it's a mistake. But uh, they don't ask me. It's time for the final segment of the show, brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, and it's on the quiet side of campus on the convenient side of campus. You don't have to go battle all the traffic on 12. You're right there by the Walmart neighborhood market. It's very, very easy access to all the major highways that intersect and come through Starkville. You can get a two-bedroom, two-bath home if you're looking to downsize. Maybe it's an investment property for you. Maybe it's your future retirement home. You can get a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two, uh, got two houses already you know, that are custom being built. And uh, you know, you got some that are for sale, too. I guess there's eight right now that are up for sale. Then there's still some other lots that if you want to maybe custom build your home, say, hey, Steve, this is what I have to have. I need this big office. I don't just need an extra bedroom. I've got to have room to spread out. Contact our friend Brooks Bryan, and he can take care of that for you. Brooks, a former Diamond Dog, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Guys, I'm telling you, you've always wanted to have a place in Starkville, whether it be your part-time home, maybe it's your ballgame weekend retreat. Look no further than Portico. You're going to be so glad you did. I mean, next time you're in town, allow yourself a few extra minutes and maybe just ride through there. Very easy to get to. You turn off 82 on the 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. They'll take you through the four-way stop, and then boom, there you are, Portico. Trust me, that's how close it is to campus. You owe it to yourself Please go check it out. And listen, there's going to be people in your family like, you know, uh, I don't know. Guys, we're not getting it younger. We're not. 
It's like one of these days I'm going to have a great place in Starkville. One of these days never gets here because we're just kind of leading an accidental life. Take charge of that today. So let's, let's just go ahead and get some information. And then what you'll find, too, is like your significant other will probably get excited about it, too. Are we really doing this? Yeah, we're really doing this. Let's do it. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's spend a little time talking about uh, some in-state recruiting, too. We've talked about this a little bit here as of late, and uh, I don't want to belabor the point, but I believe that our Mississippi State football camps are probably going to be more important this year than they have been maybe in more recent years. And a lot of these guys, too, I don't, this dates back even to Dan Mullen. It was kind of like this with Joe, too. But uh, Dan was a real stickler about if you were committed to Mississippi State, you had to be here for big dog camp. You, did, you had to be here for Big Dog Camp. And if you didn't come to Big Dog Camp and you didn't have a real reason, and I don't remember anybody ever having a justifiable reason, they would drop you. Now, last year we didn't do that. You know, Joe had some of that, I guess. But Mike and them guys, I think, because we're coming out of uh, COVID and last year was the first year with camps, I think you're going to see more of that. Like last year – Tyler Woodard was a guy that I really liked. We saw him in the spring. He wasn't 100% healthy. Really liked him a lot. And then he kind of had an okay senior year. Well, he came to one of the earlier camps and worked out when he wasn't healthy and stayed stuck with him. Well, then he didn't come to top dog camp, which is still always a big dog camp to me. Next thing you know, we ultimately back away from him. There was some flirtation with him late because he did end up kind of putting some things together on film later in his senior year. We didn't take him. Uh, Jeterius Elam is the guy that committed to Mississippi State really early last year. Didn't come to camp, didn't work out. We didn't sign him. I don't understand. You're not going to trick somebody into giving you a scholarship. And so my attitude has always been like this. It's like you need to come – and work out with your coaches, number one, to show what you can do. And when guys are scared to do that, I'm scared to sign them. If you're not willing to get out here and compete and make sure that everybody understands, hey, this is our guy, this guy is an alpha, this is a guy that's going to fit our scheme, what are you hiding? What are you, why are you scared to compete? A guy that's scared to compete in a camp, in a T-shirt and shorts, is going to be scared to compete when the game is on the line in the egg ball on fourth and one. That guy's never going to figure it out. If you're scared to compete in seven-on-seven in front of your college coaches, then you don't deserve to have college coaches. That's as simple as it can be. So I support the policy. And, again, there was some times last year, like, you know, Jordan Thomas, one of those guys, too, it's like I laugh about this stuff. Even back then, it's like once Tennessee got involved and he decided to go to uh, go to a Tennessee event rather than come to Mississippi State event, you know, and, and it's not because I'm insecure. It's maybe because I am secure. When he elected to go to a Tennessee event, I would have dropped him right then. It's like, we're having an event here. You're committed to us. And, oh, well, Steve, that's just recruiting. No, it's not. And then Jordan ends up ultimately signing with Tennessee. I mean, the writing's on the wall. If a guy has two schools to choose from for an event – and he's committed to you and chooses the other school, then you can't count him as a commitment. You got to cut him. And that was, I mean, never took a visit, anything like that, never came to Mississippi State again. And so it's like, and, and I don't say you can't go out there and make that statement publicly, 
but I would go ahead and drop him. I wouldn't wait because no one guy is worth the rest of the class. You know, what, what do those guys think? What about that kid that maybe struggles to find transportation and has to rely on maybe an assistant coach to bring him to the camp? It's like, Coach, I want to go up there and be around my teammates. I want to be around my coaches. Can you bring me? And all of a sudden, this coach, and we, there are so many great ones in this country that are so incredibly invested in their young people. It's like, you know what, hey, it, it is worth it to me not for me to go network and hobnob and get to meet Mike Leach or whatever, but it's worth it to me to give my evening and my gas money to my student athlete. And so these guys bring them, and, so, and you know the kid's all anxious and nervous, and it's like, hey, coach, can you bring me? Don't worry about it, kid, I got you. And so that kid maybe jumps through hoops to get here, and then his, quote, classmate can't even make the effort. No, there's no way. It's disrespectful to the other kid. I mean, if the expectation is for every commitment to be here for top dog camp, then by God, they need to be here. And if you're not willing to come make that, and that was, I, this is where I give Dan and those guys a lot of credit. And they brought Friday Night Lights with them from Gainesville to Starkville. It was the, the, the brainchild of Urban Meyer. And when they first started doing Friday Night Lights at Florida, it changed the game in the industry. Then everybody started doing it. Because everybody's like, wait a minute, we can do the summer camps in the stadium with the music going? We can make a party out of it? We can evaluate them, but the guys have a good time? And all of a sudden, then all the best players in the country are like, I'm going to Friday Night Lights. I'm going to go, I'm going to go check it out. Well, the novelty's kind of worn off a little bit. But Dan and those guys are like, hey, this is the first team meeting. You're going to be Mississippi State Bulldog. This is going to be the first team meeting. So you need to be here. You need to be here to work out with your coaches. And there were so many times we'd get everybody together, take a picture. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. And that's the thing you begin to think about. You want a school to pay for your education to give you a Division I scholarship. And in our case, in the Southeastern Conference. And you can't make it to a one-day one camp. I can't use that guy. And even if you're injured, you can come hang out. You don't have to work out. You can just come hang out and be with your guys. If I was one of those kids and I'm like, hey, I can't wait to be there. And God rest his soul, DJ Looney was like the best at this stuff. DJ would be on the phone as a recruit and as a player. Hey, you got to be here for big dog camp. You need to be here. Make arrangements. Talk to your mom, whatever you got to do. Talk to your coach. They emphasized how important it was because this is basically, you know, this is the beginning of your future. And if you can't make the effort, and I could put a list together if I put some time to how many guys that didn't come to Big Dog Camp signed or Mississippi State on a Dan Mullen, and, and the list is zero. It's zero. If you were committed and you didn't come to camp, you no longer had an offer. It's a line in the sand type moment. Mississippi State will have Top Dog Camp June 10th this year. Paul Jones and I will be giving you full coverage. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be there. We'll be there to, to kind of under, uh, kind of watch and observe, and, and we'll interview some players. And then uh, I'm going to take a vacation after that. But um, not quite sure if we're going to do the show yet or not. I haven't decided yet. Might do some things a little bit different. Maybe record, pre-record some shows for you guys. It just depends. But uh, I'm leaving the country for a few days. But um, all that being said, we're going to get Top Dog Camp taken care of for you. And we only have a handful of commitments, and we kind of touched on that on Wednesday's show. 
business will pick up after top dog camp. There are several players. I would just think here, just off the top of my head, there's about six players in the state of Mississippi that I think will ultimately end up Bulldogs, but they need a good showing at top dog camp. I think there are some guys that are really leaning this direction and really want to come to Mississippi State, but your coaches want to see them in camp up close and personal, and I don't blame them. You know, we look at what we've had to do the last couple of years. You know, we take some early commitments, and then we end up having to drive some kids late. We want to kind of avoid that if we can. I think that's an important part of things, too. Because, again, eventually you get the reputation, right? It's like, well, you know, making a commitment to Mississippi State is not really worth anything because if you don't have a good senior season, they're going to drop you. And you know what? I'm perfectly okay with that aspect of it. If you're not out there working, it's one thing if you have an injury. But if you're one of these guys that, um, you know, just kind of gets senioritis and mails it in, I think it's a different, a different dynamic entirely. And I won't call any names, but I've seen some of that too. I've gone out to get senior film of prospects, and I'm like, what has happened to this kid? They don't play hard. They don't play with any effort. There was, there was one player in particular I went to see a few years ago that uh, didn't – he's a defensive back, played safety, didn't make a single tackle in a ball game. How does that happen? How does the guy that's headed to the SEC – play an entire high school football game and I make a tackle. And it's not like they played in a phone booth. You know, those are the things you think about. Like, well, you know, all these things, these situations are committable. But, you know, and they're they're all conditional. That's probably the better word to use there. But let's take a quick look here. You know, we talk about decommitments. Some of these decommitments that we've had in recent years, you know, have really kind of boiled down to a misevaluation ourselves. You know, those are the things that I, I kind of think about with all this. So, Deion Smith, you guys are familiar with him. He uh, committed to Mississippi State very, very early, then flipped to, to LSU, went out there, had a really good freshman year. All this discussion that he was going to go to Ole Miss, uh, and he still may. But Deion Smith, uh, from what I understand now, headed to junior college. Actually shared that a few weeks back, that that was the rumor, that rather than transfer, he would go uh, to junior college get some academic concerns handled, and then be a member of the um, 2023 recruiting cycle. So he's got to go play this year and then uh, could potentially be a guy that could sign with somebody uh, after his season. So he won't be transferring to a four-year school this year. Uh, Kadarius Callaway, remember him? Uh, Kadarius Callaway is a guy that uh, was committed to Mississippi State, and then all the craziness happened with the COVID stuff, and then Alabama went after him, and then he ultimately signed with Alabama, got out there, stayed about a semester, went to East Mississippi Community College. He will have to graduate from EMCC in order to to get out of that, basically, that cloud with the uh, Alabama NIL. So in order for him to go, a lot of people are like, oh, Steve, why don't we take him? Um well, you know, he's still got some things to figure out. But this is another guy. Think about this. The top two ready players in the class, you had, um, you know, two big four stars here in state that were committed to Mississippi State that decommit, and now both of them now in the junior college ranks. Malik Neighbors, of course, defected from us on NAFL signing day and uh, flipped the LSU. I had talked about it for a month, and I had some people tell me I was crazy. Oh, Steve, you need to check your sources. 
Guys, let me just tell you this. I don't need a source to know this, that when LSU really wants a kid from South Louisiana, I don't care how long he's been committed to you, he's going to LSU. I've been doing this now for nearly 25 years. And so there is a rare exception, but when there is a South Louisiana kid from Youngsville, Louisiana, that had flirted with LSU the entire year, and he gets a late offer, he's going. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. It doesn't matter who you talk to. It doesn't matter how many coaches' numbers you have in your cell phone. That's the reality of life. MJ Daniels, of course, flipped from Mississippi State uh, to Ole Miss on signing day. I had some people tell me I was crazy about that, and then I've had some Ole Miss people try to throw it in my face. Oh, well, you said he was solid. I didn't say it. Matter of fact, I was told the last two weeks of the recruiting process that he was flipping. Did my best to share it. State was still working, trying to hang on to him, and the kid's just trying to survive the process and telling everybody, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Then, of course, he flips, and we get the Mary Flipmas T-shirt. Thomas Davis of uh, Lowndes High School in Valdosta, Georgia, flipped to Miami. I'm interested to see what his high school career looks like, his college career. I didn't think that he was a great get. Now, he's at Miami now, so maybe Manny saw some things that I didn't. Even when I broke down his film, and it, even though it was somewhat limited, I wasn't totally impressed with him. Some other people were. I wasn't. Brandon Buckhalter, also another guy that, you know, that was one of these things, too. It's like, well, you know, the kid talks good. There was no chance that kid uh, staying in Mississippi State commitment. Navonta Q. Strong flipped to LSU. That was a very disappointing situation. A guy that grew up a Mississippi State guy flips to LSU, and now he's uh, in a transfer portal. McKaylin Pounders, and this is one of the uh, the sad things that I've, I've, I've covered in my career. McKaylin Pounders is a guy that decommitted, uh, was basically used as part of a PR shell game, and fortunately his coach, uh, John Danley, was able to get Memphis to take him. And I think McKaylin's going to be have a good career in college. He was a guy, too, that, you know, senioritis got to him a little bit, but the recruiting stuff, he was basically used as a pawn to make Mississippi State look bad, and then in the end he's a guy that, has to pick up the tab in that deal. But, again, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Mazel Williams, I always thought he was a good player. I didn't think he was great. We ended up dropping him. Still signed his uh, buddy Tamar Rogers. Now Tamar is in the portal. Amarion Howard's another guy. It was a local guy, a lot of pressure to sign him, and he didn't really fit the scheme, and that's okay. Uh, Shaquan Anderson bots, that was one of these, uh, you know, Charles Huff projects. No clue where that kid is today. And then Brendan Tolles is a guy, I, I really think we made a mistake there. We, we took him early and then dropped him, and then he had a really good year so the miss last year. And look at last year's numbers too, some of these decommitments. I think it's important. Again, let's just kind of look at it and figure it out here. Kind of how it all worked out. Uh, Donovan Johnson from Cedar Grove, I barely even remember this guy. You know, it's like we had him committed, and people were like, oh, this guy's going to be really good. And uh, – I remember when we were getting ready to take him, I went and did my advanced scouting report, and I'm like, I just don't see it. I just don't see this guy being an SEC player. And then, uh, lo and behold, we're kind of proven right there. After Mississippi State signs him, um, I don't know that he signed with anybody. There was some talk that he may go to Gardner-Webb, but um, he didn't sign with a major school. It's always interesting. Uh, Colin Griffin was the guy, basically, was Jordan Thomas's teammate and best friends. It was kind of a calf-cow deal, and uh, 
Cowan came and worked out at camp, had a very difficult day. He did. Watched it with my own eyes. I know there's some other people that um, claimed they were there and said he had a good day. The I, I, only thing I can assume is that they had the wrong player identified. He did not have a good day at camp. And from that point forward, it really felt like things were kind of trending in that direction. And so, yeah, I guess you keep him to keep Jordan Thomas. But I think, again, you go back and look at what you learned about Jordan Thomas and his allegiance to you, you probably should have made the move much sooner. We talked about Tyler Woodard and Jeterius Elium earlier. DeCarlos Nelson, believe it or not, flipped from us. Committed to Kentucky. We eventually get him back. Number one junior college uh, corner in the country. Love his length. Going to be great for us. Cam East, and this is a situation here, too. It's so interesting. Cam East, all the way through. Gonna wait. I'm going to sign in February. I just want to take trips. And then, basically, when the rubber met the road, you know, everybody's like, hey, we, we, okay, we're going to sign in December. And then one state said, hey, if you don't sign in December, we're going to go get somebody else. He's like, okay, I'm going to decommit. And so, you know, again, I go back to this thing, too. Like, last year, when the camp season came along, so Tyree and those guys, Cam's junior teammates, they made the trip to Mississippi State for top dog camp. It didn't work out, but they came, came to camp, met with coaches, just kind of toured the facilities. Well, Cam didn't come with them. Why would you not do that? Oh, well, Cam couldn't get a ride. The, the coach is here. What do, you, what do you mean? So you watch these summer camps. You know, it's one of those things if it's, you know, I understand, like, if it's a family vacation or something that can't be – but you, you can't get up here for something else. So Cam doesn't make the trip and ultimately signs with somebody else. Is that a surprise to anybody? You know, it's like I think about R.J. Moss. I mean, R.J. Moss made the trip, came up here, recruited, came back for top dog camp. Yeah, I mean, you know, like – and then ultimately we move away from him. He signs with South Alabama, and he'll have a redshirt year this year, and uh, I wish that kid the best. I mean, I think a lot of R.J. Moss. But, you know, he's a guy, too, that I think – I think he could have played here. I really do. Uh, and Jacarius Clayton decommits, goes to Ole Miss, and then flips back to Mississippi State on signing day. But when you start running these things down by and large, I mean, I think R.J. Yoss, R.J. R.J. Moss is probably maybe a low-level Power 5 guy, but he will certainly thrive on the G5 level. I think he will really stand out there. Uh, but I like R.J. I do think he's a guy that could play here. But Jacarius Clayton, SEC Galloway. Cam East, I've always thought he's a pretty good player. And uh, he'll go to Ole Miss, and I think that he's a guy to potentially start someday. I don't think that he's a building block of your offensive line, but I do think he's a guy that uh, that can play. DeCarlos Nicholson, absolutely. Jatarius Elam, I loved him, but I thought that uh, the fact he didn't work out in camp in his senior season, he basically disappeared. And I don't even know that he signed with anybody. He probably headed to junior college. The same for Tyler Woodard, same situation. Colin Griffin, again, that's a guy that I don't know that could play here. Donovan Johnson couldn't play here. So you start running these numbers down, and you look at last year's decommitments. You had nine of them, and then ultimately of those nine, you signed two of them back. How often does that happen that a kid decommits and recommits and signs? You signed Clayton and, and Nicholson. So seven true decommitments in the end. But I think when you run this thing down, you begin to look maybe outside of Jordan Thomas. None of those guys were surefire SEC guys. So really watch the camps this year. Not as many commitments, obviously, so you don't have to draw that line in the sand. But genuinely, if guys are interested in your program, they want to come spend as much time with you and your coaching staff as much as they can. 
It's like, oh, well, I've got an offer from Mississippi State and Ole Miss, but I'm going to go to camp at Alabama. It's like, number one, you lack self-awareness and good judgment. I don't know if you need to be here. Right? You know, when we get this deep into the process, and I understand, well, we're going to go camp for offers. That's why you have multiple camps. So you better be here. But uh, that June 10th one's a big one. And so here's the camp schedule for those of you that are somewhat unfamiliar. So on June 10th, we'll have the Elite Specialist Showcase. That's a $25 deal. You got to be ninth grade through college sophomore, like as a junior college guy. Top Dog Camp is the same day. Then June 11th, we're going to have another Elite Camp. That's a $25 deal. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the 17th and have another one-day camp, and then seven-on-seven on the 18th, and then the 29th, right before we begin fall camp, we'll have another camp. And so prospects are going to have basically five opportunities outside of our specialist camp. You'll have five opportunities to come here and showcase your talent. And so and it's at this point, too, it's not just about the current class. It's about the up-and-comers as well, right? you know, this underclassmen, you want to get them on campus as much as you can. And so we're going to cover it like nobody's business. But watch the guys that maybe we're chasing and maybe Ole Miss is chasing and some other schools are chasing and kind of see where they go. Guys that don't come to your camp, at least to come hang out, genuinely don't sign with you. Their, you know, actions mean more than words, right? It's like you think, oh, well, this guy's been up here, this guy's been up here. It's like, hey – I'm committed here. Like, I go back to uh, Caleb Yules, and I can't remember who it was. I think Ole Miss was playing maybe LSU or Alabama. It was supposed to be a big game, and they were chasing him. And I think we played like – we played an FCS team. And Caleb Yules came to Mississippi State rather than going to Ole Miss to watch this huge SEC game at night. You know it's going to be a party atmosphere. And Caleb chose to come here. It's like, well, that kid's coming here. Because, you know, as a high school kid, why would you turn down, number one, the chance to be kind of romanced and courted a little bit and see a potentially, you know, top ten type game, great atmosphere, big party, everybody's having a good time, or I'm going to go watch an afternoon game, you know, at Mississippi State in the sun against somebody they're going to beat to death. That kid's coming here, and he came here. He was a great player at Mississippi State. And so – I just throw that out there because, you know, in two weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. Is we're going to be out there covering these camps, so we're going to be talking, taking an inventory and taking role. But, again, it's never one of those things that you say, oh, you know, well, some, sometimes things happen. But when you've got four or five camp dates, if the guys that you're prioritizing don't make it, they're not prioritizing you. You give them five chances to make it over the course of two months – They've got an opportunity to come up here and kind of express their own interest in person. If they don't show, it's time to move on. All right, that's it for today. Thank you guys so much for your support. I know it's been a weird schedule this week. I wanted to get today's show done after we had the ball game. And, of course, you have a chance to listen to it maybe on the way home. But uh, if you're looking for books, and you should be because Father's Day is coming up, you need to go to dogpilethebook.com. That's D-A-W-G-P-I-L-E, the book. .com. You can get personalized copies of all of my sports books. That includes Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, and, of course, Dogpile. A lot of people are now ordering Dogpile now that baseball season's over so they can say, well, I'm going to be reminded of how great it was. You owe it to yourself or do the same. You're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. Matter of fact, I saw Jason last night at the Top Gun movie, uh, which is great. Jason's uh, one of the guys that handles the shirt business for us. And uh, 
Jason said, I had to see it in the big in the big theater. His wife was with him, too. I don't think she was quite as excited as he was. But it was great. I had a chance to talk to him after the movie. If you haven't seen the new Top Gun movie, let me encourage you to go do it. Not just if you're a child of the 80s, because I brought my girls with me and my younger son. They loved it, too. And uh, two of the three have not seen the original, which Top Gun is a phenomenal movie. I think Top Gun Maverick is really, really good, too. I really enjoyed the show. And uh, I didn't think it was going to be too cheesy, and it wasn't. And uh, there were some really cool parts in the movie. I think you'll enjoy it. But anyway, that's it for today. You guys enjoy your weekend. We'll be back on Monday. We'll be a regular schedule next week. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.